0: Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 on our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham.
1: Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 221 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 14th, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Coach Harvey Hyde is on secret assignment this week somewhere in Las Vegas. But we're going to have Dan Weber on for an extended period of time this week on the podcast answering all of your questions about the USC Trojans. Anything to do with the football team. If you have any questions or comments, we love to hear from you. Email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or if you want to leave a voicemail, we have a few of those to play for you today. You can call 206-888-6755. Please try to leave a brief voicemail. and We'll play it on the podcast. Or go to peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and you can leave a voicemail right from your computer. And like I said, Harvey Hyde on Secret Assignments. So we got Dan Weber joining us. Dan, what's going on, man? How are you doing?
2: Pretty good. Doing doing good. Another uh, weekend full of news. uh, Another week coming up. Looks like it's got a lot of news going on. Uh, Hard to, as we've said, how many times uh, if you're involved with USC football, uh, you know, you aren't going to be bored. Stuff keeps happening.
1: Stuff is happening all the time. There's always kind of stuff going on here around the program, and we got a bunch of questions to get to on that. Before we do that, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California tickets. You can go to sctickets.com or give them a call, one eight hundred eight 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 seven two eight seven. If you need tickets for anything, and there's a lot going on in Southern California, as you know, Dan, so much going on. You got the Kings, LA Kings. They're doing. They went. They went up one game in their series against Phoenix. You got the Lakers. You got the Clippers. Both winning, exciting seven games. So there's a lot going on there on that front. Uh, but, Dan, I wanted to get to – so, yeah, so definitely give him a call, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. But, Dan, uh, I guess some of the biggest news that came out uh, over the weekend, and I wanted to play this uh, voicemail question for you, and we can kind of talk about it. Yeah, this is Dougie at the top of the grapevine. Been enjoying Trojan football since 1962. Uh, just wanted to know about Paul D. Um, wanted to know how it will affect the trial with the uh, McNair case and the NCAA. And, uh, you know, my condolences to his family, and uh, I'm just sorry he won't be around to see us um, hopefully kick some rear this year. And uh, that's about it. And also one more question. I heard a rumor that he did commit suicide. I would like to know if that is true or not. And um, I just love the show. I listen to it every week. It's the highlight of my uh, week. And uh, the Parasol Podcast, Trojan Blast, all of it. Just love it. Thank you guys for putting it on. I really appreciate it. Bye,
2: on, uh, Dougie, uh, I wish I could help you on the, uh, on the suicide rumor. Um, I know we actually had, just by, by accident, friends in uh, Coral Gables, who uh, two years ago uh, had gone out, and this is not meant as a, a negative or uh, in a joking way, had gone out to dinner with Paul D., and uh told us that uh, uh they didn't think anybody knew about it, but that he had he had throat cancer and was even at that time really really sick and um so uh you know I know he's been battling it you know for a good while. I know you know we probably were the first ones to report that uh you know that that it might have an impact on uh on something like his deposition, which now you know was scheduled. For next month, and I guess he was, you know, considered uh, in the McNair case as a, <clears throat> an uncooperative out-of-state witness, and uh, had to be put on the on the deposition list. Uh, and there are two schools of thought. I'm not, a, you know, an attorney, and haven't done these. There are some who say that uh, it might affect it uh, in a way that we don't uh, foresee. That it might make it, for example, easier for some. Uh, say at the NCAA or on the Committee on Infractions to say, uh, you know, that wasn't us, that was Paul that, that did that. Uh, and he might not be around, you know, he won't be around to, to defend himself and, and say it was him. Uh, I mean, that's one theory. Uh, the other other thing you think might be happening is that at the time he was going to be the only one uh, so far listed on the committee on infractions to uh, to have a deposition taken from one would think that would expand now and that other people on the committee on infractions like uh, Josephine Petuto and Missy Convoy and people like that may may be deposed and so uh and I think you can make the case you know on both sides of that 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 it that it could give you know, a more full picture of, uh, of what's going on or what went on in terms of the USC case that, you know, we've certainly heard that there were people on the committee saying things like, uh, uh, that Paul D and some of the staff uh, at the NCA took the case in a place where they didn't think they were going to, didn't know about it, and were somewhat surprised when they came out with this really harsh, uh, judgment on USC. I think, you know, I think we'll see. It's going to be, it's going to make it even more interesting how this uh, how this plays out. I know this, the other theory too is that will this give the NCAA more reason, uh, you know, to want to settle? Uh, that that maybe they obviously have been delaying and trying to you know judge shop and do a lot of things, and now will this uh, tell them that uh, look, uh, rather than have this you know the depositions expand and the email search. Go through and all of that kind of thing. Uh, are they better off uh, just saying, uh, you know, we're sorry? If you can even imagine that they would do such a thing, and saying uh, maybe it got a little out of hand, and and you know, we'll uh, we'd like to settle and keep everything completely secret from the public. Uh, uh, so I wish I could tell you which I think of those, those is going to happen. I I, I don't think I know and. I'm not
1: sure anybody does right now. All right, we had uh, one more question on that topic, at least one more voicemail question. Here you go. Hi,
0: you guys. This is uh, Carl from Kansas City. And I'm calling uh, in response to Dan Weber's interview last week about the Todd McNair trial. I thought it was just such good information, and I think it's something that we would love to hear more about. Certainly, I would, uh, to just see what really happened, what the NCAA really did. And I have a couple questions. Uh, Number one, what role do you think that USC and Reggie Bush will play uh, should they be subpoenaed to testify in his trial against the NCAA? Will USC just back off if they have with most of what's happened since the whole uh, announcement and the sanctions? Uh, Will Reggie Bush play more of a role than he did uh, leading up uh, to the sanctions? Um, And how much coverage do you think the likes of the ESPNs of the world will be uh, covering this trial to let us know really what really happened. So um, any insight on that information, Dan, would be great. Uh, Appreciate you guys and what you do. Fight on, Trojans. Thanks. Bye.
2: Interesting question from Kansas City. I I, I promise I'd try to uh, make these short. They're they're good questions, though. Uh, I think the USC one, uh, they've really been – removed from this, uh, uh, about as far removed as you could possibly be from this case. Some people are not very happy about that. That's uh, USC's decision. The Reggie Bush question, though, is interesting. Where does he play in to a uh, a lawsuit by Todd McNair saying basically, uh, you know, what the NCA did to him was just completely, uh, uh, you know, a completely made-up connection and all of that. Uh, no one has thought about, I don't think I've seen that even issue even raised as to the possibility of how Reggie Bush might fit into this case. Uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. As to ESPN's coverage, uh, you, you have to remember that they're a visual medium, and you need, you know, this thing would have to go to trial. There are a lot of people who don't think the NCA can ever let it go to trial. If it goes to trial in downtown LA, There will be lots of coverage. If it doesn't go to trial, uh, it's so hard uh, for an ESPN, for example, to cover something that's happening behind the scenes. That just isn't how television works. So so I don't know. If I were the NCAA, I don't think I'd want to let it go to trial. That's another good reason why you would think they wouldn't want it to go to trial. Uh, But if it does, uh, there will be – There'll be uh, cameras at the courthouse, I guarantee you. There's <laughs> people standing in front uh, doing stand-ups every day, I think, because it uh, will have the potential, you know, especially if it happens in you know, this time frame over the next year or so. Uh, that would be dynamite TV. But until that moment, probably not.
1: Uh, all right, then we have one last one. I don't want to beat this to death, but we did get a lot of questions, obviously, uh, when people found out that Paul D. Uh, passed away over the weekend. Josh, who uh, just graduated from USC and in uh, 2012, graduate, so I guess he just graduated a couple weeks ago. Uh, if the rulings on the Todd McNair case prove that the NCAA was negligent and unfair regarding the punishment handed down to USC, what can USC gain from the result, if any?
2: Well, I mean, I think it could be like you know one of those O.J. case decisions where the the one that absolutely counted the criminal case, uh, you know, he was acquitted, he lost the civil case, but uh, you know that didn't impact him other than uh, in terms of um, you know financially, uh, which would be kind of a uh, you know I hate to do this as not a lawyer. Or Having not gone to law school or anything else, uh, but uh, it would seem to be the similar kind of thing where it would be a stain on the NCAA and it certainly in you know, a nail them financially, but not sure that it's the kind of thing that that USC could could do anything about unless they chose to be really uh, more aggressive than they they you know and and try for one more bite at the apple. Now, they've obviously used up the one avenue of appeal, uh, and, and we're turned down summarily. We're not even sure if the people on the appeals committee even bothered to read the, uh, uh, you know, the appeals uh, filing for Todd McNair, for example. Uh, it, it certainly looks like they didn't bother to answer any of it, uh, pretty much. They just said, nope, no, go away. We don't need – now, would USC find another venue and say, look, you know, the NCA didn't have it in its rules how to deal with a situation like that. But now that this situation's come up, and maybe a first ever of its kind, doesn't the organization owe USC in some fashion or other to make it right? And uh, somebody might say, well, they're making up their rules as they go. Well, duh. You think that isn't what they've been doing, the whole USC case? So one more time where the NCA could... Make, make it up as they go uh, probably wouldn't be a bad thing. And if I'm a bureaucrat running the NCAA and I'm found, you know, to have done some of these things to USC that a lot of us suspect that they did, I might want to get ahead of this and say, look, that happened before I got here. We're really sorry. We can't imagine that that went on, but it did. Therefore, we have to be right by USC. Can the NCAA do that? You know, can these ultimate bureaucrats, handle something that way I mean basically you have to look at say what's best for them they're not basically going to think what's right or what's right for USC or what's right for all of our members they are basically going to make the decision on what's best for us if it becomes obvious that the best thing for them to do is to get right with USC uh, they'll probably do that but in a way, we don't have any idea how they would do it because there is no mechanism right now for the NCA to do that.
1: You can't give like extra scholarship, okay? It's the, <laughs> yeah, I mean, over. It, you can it, have there's no
2: way for them to make the decision. I mean, it's hard to even know what group at the NCA would make that decision. Now, again, that didn't stop them previously from doing things in the USC case, just because. It hadn't happened before, or they hadn't been able to make a decision uh, on something uh, in a particular way before they went ahead and did it. Uh, so I don't think that'll stop them, but uh, it's so hard, you know, for people who have gotten to the top of their field, their organization, whatever, by being the ultimate bureaucrat and never having to take the blame for anything. It's not always that easy for those same people to then, in any way, kind of step up to the plate and say, "Mm, "Man, we screwed up. Uh, That's not that's not what you normally see."
1: And we haven't certainly haven't seen that recently. So, uh, but well, thanks for answering the questions, Dan. We had a ton of. People asking about it, obviously, so uh, we'll, we'll keep up to date. We'll, we'll keep watching. Keep watching the War Room. I'm sure Dan will have some tidbits in there, too.
2: Yeah, this is just starting. Yeah. Course. I mean, it, here we are. How many years into this? <laughs> and it's like, oh, another new start. Kind yeah. of. It's just amazing.
1: Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to some football stuff. Uh, this question is from Sean. He says, hi, my name is Sean. I had a couple of questions regarding USC football. I'm a Kentuckian, so I thought you'd like this one, Dan, wow. and, and have been a huge okay. fan for life. I was wondering, what kind of role do you see Lamar Dawson playing on defense? Could this be the year he breaks out? And I'm and second, I'm in SEC country, so I take all kinds of heat for being a USC fan. But would you agree that it's been quite a while since the SEC has had to play against a Heisman-caliber quarterback who excels at throwing, all in caps, the football? The last time was Bama, Texas, and Gilbert, and... Shipley picked them apart after they settled down. Who is to say that if LSU-Bama versus USC title game happens, they won't struggle to cover all of USC's weapons? Defense is great, but USC, I believe, has a great defense this year, year too. And the last time I checked, 0-0 isn't a win. That's from Sean.
2: Hey, uh, Sean and uh, Kentucky guys know what they're talking about, I guess. Actually, in growing up also in Kentucky, you were kind of a a border state guy. You know, I I grew up as basically... uh, uh equal parts, uh Ohio State, Notre Dame, uh Michigan, uh, you know, that kind of a uh a football guy and uh and the S you know, you were the northernmost SEC state and so uh uh you know, spent a lot of Saturday nights in Lexington watching, you know, uh, Ole Miss when they were really good. L S U always was good. Bama didn't come in all that much but uh but we were kind of in the middle of two worlds, and did get to look at, at how different people approached it. Didn't get to see much of USC until uh, we got out here, and uh, and I think you're exactly right. I think the SEC people, SEC people know their football, and they're smart enough to know they didn't want to play USC in the championship game, and they've been able to you know avoid that through all the ways in which the BCS has worked itself out and the way USC what's happened to USC, and if you notice, there are no more U.S. Um, Southeastern Conference opponents on USC's schedule at all, and that's not going to happen. Uh, and I think you're right. I think it's much easier. If I'm the SEC and I've got a, a real athletic defensive team, I think I can get ready to play, say, in Oregon, a team that's essentially going to run the ball with good athletes and good speed. If I've got four weeks to get ready for that game, I can really speed up the tempo of practice uh, and uh, do all the things you can. Basically, you're going to be using your good athletes to stop the run. The problem they would have, and the problem, for example, that Oklahoma had in that Orange Bowl uh, in, you know, after the 2005 season is uh, no matter how good your athletes are, if they haven't seen anybody that can throw the ball deep and and, and run the ball, and uh, and have the kind of skill people at quarterback and wide receivers and have been doing it all year long. There's almost no way I think that you can get your team ready to stop the deep ball. It's it's there are too many things involved. And as you saw with Oklahoma, Oklahoma had all kinds of trouble. They they were, you know, they had a couple of All-Americans in their secondary. They kept coming up to try to support the run to stop Lundell and, and Reggie. And uh you know, then Steve Smith and everybody else in the world is running past them and uh and they didn't have much of a chance. I think even this year, if you look at L S U, we we heard how great their secondary was and two all Americans and two, you know, big time first round draft picks and all that kind of thing. And here Alabama was a really you know, and I've kidded about this, but I said, you know, Washington State might have three quarterbacks who could start at Alabama and uh they let their kids throw the ball a little bit. Uh, and in that game, in the championship game, you saw Alabama's very average wide receivers running past that LSU secondary because they really hadn't seen that this year. So uh, I think a very astute observation. If I'm the SEC, I do not want to play a really good USC team with good athletes on defense and a, and a – pretty much sophisticated high power offense that it, it can throw the ball deep uh, to really good receivers with a, you know, a Heisman uh, caliber quarterback. That's, that would be a, a nightmare matchup. And, and that's of course why people like us want to look at, you know, first week of January in uh, South Florida and say, what if, what if we, you know, there's a return of Lane Kiffin to the Southeastern conference and a return of USC to, Paul D's homeland and all that before uh, before the weekend, people were actually saying, you know, wouldn't it be nice to invite Paul D out to practice someday and see what what his uh, handiwork uh, has produced in uh, USC football? But uh, I think uh, good observation.
1: All right, well, thank you. Uh, I'm glad you liked the question from a Kentuckian. Uh, yep, <laughs> some good stuff. Let's go to Theo. He's like, he says, Do you think Zach Banner could steal the right tackle spot from Kevin Graff in the fall?
2: Well, I think it's awfully hard for a a, a first year offensive lineman, you know, and I would have said that up to the day they inserted Marcus Martin into the starting lineup last year. It's really hard. Uh, And uh, I think, you know, the thing that next year. They're going to benefit from is having an all-veteran. If you you know consider Andre Walker, who was certainly in the mix all year long, and uh, you know in practice all year long, and, and you know got first-team reps all year long. Uh, I think you know the veteranness of next year's offensive line is really going to be uh, you know the strong point. You know you lose a Matt Talia one year and you lose a Ter- Teron Smith, uh, you know great great talents the first offensive lineman picked in two straight you know, NFL drafts, uh, you're going to make up for that, I think, with smart, uh, smarts and, and veteran kids really knowing how to adjust and what to do and all of that. And, and it's almost impossible, I would think, uh, to uh, uh, overcome that as a first-year player Unless, and as it turns out, Marcus was kind of a you know a one of a kind kid who just seemed to, even at the age of seventeen just seemed to to get it, uh, you know, not all the way. You know, there's no way you know a, a kid is going to get it. Zach Banner, I think the fact that he's six foot nine, the fact that you know he really has to work on. I mean, I think he's a terrific athlete. He's got really good feet and a great attitude and. A great, great potential, but there are some mechanical things and and some issues. You know, when you're that big uh, and, and coming in for the first time, and just the level of competition jumps up so dramatically. Uh, you know, it'd be a surprise. But the one thing that won't surprise you is they will play whoever's the best guy there, and they won't play him because he's a recruit. They won't play him because. They've got all this invested in him in terms of their own, uh, you know, egos and and bringing him in or anything like that. They'll play him because he deserves to play. That's one of the the really good things about this coaching staff is if you deserve to play, you'll play. If you don't, you won't. And it it doesn't matter if you're a freshman or a fifth-year senior. Uh, So uh, I I wouldn't think so, but uh, we'll see.
1: All right. Uh, Let's go to David. I know there was some, when we were at the spring game, Dan, um, they were changing up the PA announcers and trying out some different guys. This I hadn't heard, though. Uh, I don't know if this was just rumor or what. Maybe you've heard something. Any news on whether uh, Pete and Paul will be back on the radio broadcast next season? They talk about Paul McDonald and uh, Pete Arbogast.
2: Well, I saw, uh, I guess Pete was out at the Ronnie Lott luncheon last week, and and I don't get the sense that that's the case. Uh, uh, The only thing that we've heard officially is that the plan would be uh with ESPN Radio signing USC to their first national radio contract for next year is that they would pick up the USC broadcast uh for um, uh for national distribution most of the time and what we have heard though is that there may be an occasion uh like the Oregon game or something like that where ESPN would decide that uh they would like to use their own announcing team, uh, you know, not to do the USC broadcast in terms of 710, uh, uh, you know, ESPN in LA and the and the the network, but uh, for the national uh, network, that there would be a possibility that they could bring in a a national team uh, for that game. But uh, uh, to this point, that's what we've heard is not a change, but that the potential of of a national team on a selected game or so, uh, but 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 mostly picking up the USC broadcast for national distribution.
1: All right. Thanks for that one, Dan. Um, this question, not so much, we're not, I don't know if we'll be able to answer the whole thing, but I wanted to be able to talk about um, walk-ons and eligibility, things like that, where we're getting a lot of questions, and usually during the recruiting segments on, well, this guy's a walk-on, does he count towards scholarships and things like that? It seems like there's a lot more attention on it just because of the limited scholarships. But uh, the question was, what do you think of the impact Elijah Steen will make? And he was the um, preferred walk-on uh, that, that was announced like a month or so ago. And I think some people thought he was offered a scholarship, and that's what people reported at first, but that wasn't the case. He was just a preferred right. walk-on. Not just a preferred walk-on, but he is a preferred walk-on. Do you think that with training a polish and, a, and the DB coach, he could become a surprise impact player? Also, if he plays this year and earns a scholarship next year, would he still have four years of eligibility or his walk on year impact his years of scholarship eligibility?
2: Well, I think uh, his eligibility and number of years, uh, it really depends on does he play or not, uh, uh, and not so much his scholarship status. And, and I do think that would be, you know, that is a way. Of, uh, of offering a kid who could be a preferred walk-on with the idea that USC scholarships are going to increase uh, for sure in two years, uh, possibly, uh, you know, follow up to our earlier uh, discussion of does the NCAA ever get to a place where it decides to do right by USC uh, in the uh, Paul D. Penalties? Uh, you know, maybe sooner than that. So that that may be a way of, uh, you know, of approaching a kid and saying uh, you will be, uh, you know, based on your performance and all that at, at USC, you'll be in line for one of those, uh, you know, one of those expanded uh, uh, scholarships. But, uh, but I do think uh, at every position, uh, walk, you know, walk-ons are going to matter. Uh, just finding out that Cody Gifford has decided to, you know, put off, uh, put off graduation and uh, come back for another year uh, and sort of take Robbie Boyer's place, although Robbie had earned a scholarship. But, you know, Cody would, will come back and kind of be the veteran, uh, you know, senior, fifth-year guy who will, uh, you know, give a lot of direction. As talented as that receiving corps is, they need bodies uh, to do reps and practice, and, uh, and that'll, he'll matter. And I think at it, it, virtually every position, they're going to have a walk-on or two that uh, will really help, uh, if nothing else, really matter in practice. And and with the uh, you know the theme is prep, it's, it's all about the prep. Uh, uh, those guys really are you know are important. So I mean, I think you can look at any of the you know walk-ons, any of the preferred walk-ons, and say, you know, those guys are going to matter. And uh, USC has proved, I think, over the years that if you uh, if you get the job done, you know guys like uh, uh, Abe Markowitz and, and and people like that who've earned, uh, you know, Tony Burnett, who have shown on the field that they can contribute. Uh, you know, they've earned a scholarship and uh, and uh, are, you know they keep a place, uh, a really important place in uh, you know in the U.S. on the USC depth chart and uh, and on the practice field. So, uh, you know, I think uh, yes. He will uh, he will matter and yes he'll have a shot at a scholarship when, when those become available.
1: All right. Thanks for that one, Dan. Let's go to this is a question on the old gray lady talking about the Coliseum. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, coach, everybody there at the podcast. This is your buddy Greg high atop Signal Hill. Hey, just had a update question about um anything that's going on in the Coliseum regarding uh getting the uh Seats replaced, new video boards. Uh, any update on that? Hey, thanks a bunch. And as always, fight on, brothers and sisters. Beat everybody.
2: Well, beating everybody uh, uh, might include the uh, all the politicians that are involved in the Coliseum Commission, which was one of those really, really bad ideas. Say, you know, hey, let's get let's get people from the state and the city and the county and let's put them all on a big board and let's see if we can run the coliseum that way and it's absolutely been a disaster Uh, you know they they lost money people are going to jail Uh, nobody was nobody was on top of anything i will say this USC did get a good deal on that video board uh... you know after uh... you know pushing Pushing them to the limits on the fact that you've got to start living up to your contract, and uh, you know, or else we'll we'll be glad to you know take it over and and make it part of the campus, and uh, we'll take care of it the way we take care of the rest of the campus. And the, uh, the politician said, oh no, no no, we can't do that. Why? Um, what about our free parking spaces and tickets? You know? Oh my gosh! And you know, I won't get my name in the paper. So uh, uh, here, at USC you know and now we have a, a delay again where they're saying you know where there was pretty much of a one-sided kind of a coverage of the of the story that uh you know the state's not sure they want to you know governor brown not sure he wants to give it up to the USC because it might be worth more than uh USC would end up having to pay for it uh if USC puts in the 70 million dollars of improvements that are coming up uh you know due here and if USC only pays a million dollars, uh, you know, rent for the next 99 years, that, oh, isn't the Coliseum worth more than that? Let me say this. If USC doesn't play its football games there, the Coliseum, you know, as somebody said, what's a number lower than zero? I mean, it's worth nothing. And, you know, when, is, when are those people going to step up and say, you know what, we couldn't manage it? We couldn't uh, uh, develop it. We couldn't do anything other than basically not live up to our contract to USC. And uh, it's time for us to turn this over to the people who care about it, to the people who've been there from the very beginning and are there now for the Coliseum. And the only hope of the Coliseum is for USC to take it over. And for these people to still be standing in the way is just the height of, uh, uh, you know, all of the things that are wrong with uh, with politics. I mean there there's no reason for any of those people to be doing anything other than saying thank you USC this will preserve, you know, in a lot of ways the most important stadium in the history of the world. I mean, uh, you know, when you look at its history and it really needs work and USC, if you look at the rest of the campus, and then you look at at the Coliseum and you think, you think USC is going to let this go downhill? You think USC is going to, you know, do anything other than preserve, uh, you know, this really significantly important uh, historical building? No, of course not. Now, you know, will, will USC have more control? Yes. Will the politicians have less say? Yeah. That's a good thing. You know, from my standpoint, that's a really good thing. But uh, if you're a politician and this is one of your little things you got going for you, that's not a really good thing. So uh, we'll see. You would think uh, USC could back them down eventually, uh, but uh, it hasn't been easy over the years. These people don't want to give it up.
1: Uh, We don't like to see politics get involved in football, but it happens sometimes. Uh, Let's see. Let's move on. Theo had another question. Devon Kennard seems to be developing into a fantastic end, but I haven't heard anything about Horton. On the other, on the other side, he's talking about Wes Horton. How is he developing? De- de- excuse me, developing. I think Kevin Green should replace him. What do you think?
2: Oh no, Wes Horton probably had as good a spring as anybody, and has had. Uh, Wes Horton is probably kind of a, the, uh, the quietly developing, big time, big time story. I mean, he's becoming. Uh, he's so smart, so active. He's got really good hands. He can play inside if he has to. Um, he really he just he just goes about it kind of like a Lawrence Jackson kind of quietly uh, Nick Perry you know got so much of the attention last year Uh, I I think and probably the last couple of years I don't I think Wes has been an unappreciated asset I know I think I love Kevin Green Uh, you know his personal story his hard work his you know, development, his strength, all of those things. He hasn't played a lot of football in his lifetime and, uh, you know, keeps working and working and working. And, and and you really, you know, can do nothing but root for the kid, you know, got his diploma, uh, you know, going to be back and uh, just a great influence on, on the team. But Wes Horton uh, absolutely is going to be, you know, a standout this year. Uh, 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 Talked to Coach, you know, Orgeron and uh, And he raves about him, and uh, I think uh, you may may have missed uh, the one piece on on West from the spring, but uh, they really look at him i mean Devon's got all the fabulous uh athletic skills and a great kid and personality i mean it's amazing how many uh really sweethearts uh they've caught on defense because you always think of the defense the kids are the the really tough guys and all that, but uh, they really have a lot of a lot of great kids but West. Wes Horton is the guy who probably has uh, has developed the most, actually, and 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 the one that they're really looking to to, to anchor uh, anchor the defensive front. So uh, no, I don't I don't see Wes uh, in any way being uh, moved out of there.
1: All right, uh, let's go to we'll do. We have one last voicemail question, Dan. We'll uh, play that one for you now.
2: This is Kelvin Amici out of Van Nuys, California. Uh, I just had a couple questions in regards to Jesse Scroggins. At the spring game, his hips seemed fine. They didn't seem to bother him. Uh, he looked pretty mobile out there. So I wanted to
0: know, um, is him transferring a real possibility between now and the time, by the time the season starts? Or do you see him staying at USC and working
2: out his academic issues and competing for that number two spot behind Matt Barkley? Once again, this is Calvin Amici, flat Well, uh, that's a good point in terms of, I think, you know, today's one of the days we got to really find out. Uh, as, as Lane said, and I, I really, you know, believe this, uh, as he said, at the end of the spring, there's no sense in thinking about where he is on the depth chart or where he could be until we see where exactly he is academically and uh you know reading between the lines uh uh as lane talked about it and as we heard from you know some people close to you know jesse i mean it, it, for a time there it looked like he wasn't going to be back for the second semester and uh there was you know kind of a uh, a rethinking of where he was academically that, that seemed to allow him to be back and uh you know with a Resolve that you know he was going to square away his all his academic stuff, which put him further back uh, as well as an injury. Uh, put him; he had a you know kind of a hip injury from stepping a uh, stepping uh, you know a bad step he took on the field, and that first we thought it, it hurt. He hurt his foot, and then it turned out he kind of twisted his hip. So he had a double whammy this spring. So it didn't get much done at all this spring, uh, but academically. As Lane said, he was behind. He, he dug himself a really big hole academically, and uh, so you know we should know with uh, summer school coming up by the end of the week and that uh, where he stands academically uh, before we discuss. I think the next step as as to where he is, you know, football wise. But uh, you know, with uh, Scoggin, I mean, with um, uh, Kessler and uh, and Whittick getting all the reps they got in spring, uh, you know if he was in a big hole academically, kind of in a big hole, uh, you know, football wise as well. So, uh, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't think that, you know, he's in the best position to to move into that second spot, but, uh, but I guess, you know, I guess we'll see. And, 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 a transfer, I think is always a possibility. And I, I'm not going to say that, that, uh, you know, that's on the horizon or whatever, but, uh, but there are times, you know, it probably makes sense for everybody involved. Uh, uh, not saying that's the case here, but, uh, I don't know that it would be something to be feared. I, I think it might be the kind of thing where, where USC, you know, anybody that has Jesse's best interest at heart might say, you know, you know, when you, you weigh everything, uh, um, maybe it's the best thing. I don't know that Jesse really wants a transfer. I think he really likes USC and, uh, I think he's uh, very happy at, at USC in a lot of ways, so uh, you know it's not an easy question to answer.
1: Uh, all right, let's we got a couple more to get to. Let's go to John. He said, I recently watched the Oregon game again when Kiffin became more aggressive and pushed the ball downfield a little more. The offense looked really good rather than all of the screens that they started the game out with. Do they move? did they move to more of that in spring ball or get back to the 101 ways to run a wide receiver screen? That's from John. Well,
2: you know, I mean, I think if you were saying that after the first half of the season, uh, you know, I think, uh, you're, you know, you're right. Uh, that there may have been a, you know, overemphasis on the, uh, kind of, uh, throwing the ball out wide, you know, a few yards and, 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 and trying to get, uh, you know, trying to be safe and what have you. But, uh, you know, once you watch the rest of the season, uh, you know, if you watched, uh, uh, you know, pretty many, uh, you know, Stanford and, and Notre Dame and uh, Colorado and UCLA and what have you, I mean, and they're running down the field and throwing the ball, you know, vertically and, and, and very much vertically and, and very much, I think, working on that game. And I think uh, without a doubt uh, you're going to see a lot of that next year. I mean, first of all, They've got two wide receivers, you know, that you can make the case of the best in the country. Both of them very athletic. Both of them, uh, you know, can run like crazy. Um, and so the more they run and the deeper they go, the more they open the field up. And then basically you've got a lot of underneath stuff. You've got a lot of, uh, you know, area for the tight ends to work. Uh, you've got an area for, you know, a guy like – a you know, George Farmer or, uh, you know, or Devon Flournoy to, uh, you know, come underneath. Uh, You've got more room uh, for uh, Curtis McNeil if you can pop him uh, or or DJ Morgan. So uh, uh, I don't think you're going to have to worry about going back to the Syracuse game or the Minnesota game uh, uh, at all. I I think that's like kind of ancient history, I think, with the the program. I think some of that was – not being certain that the uh, uh, of the offensive line, and and you know what kind of protection are they going to give Matt Barkley, and and not being you know sure of uh, say are we going to get a fullback to be able to block, uh, and and then they solved that problem with Red Ellison and and uh, Ross Cumming and uh, guys that you know were veterans and dependable and blockers, and they felt like you know we can throw the ball as deep as we want and we can give Matt as much time as we want. So I think it was a combination of things uh and and maybe an overemphasis on well, what could go wrong here and I think just as as coaches develop and as teams develop they just became naturally more aggressive and naturally you know started to see all the things they could do when they uh you know threw the ball deep and and, and ran those guys down the field and had them split as wide as they could and uh, just opened up the football field. I mean, that field, some of those games, there was so much room, you know, you just thought whatever they run on this play, they're going to be fine. I mean, you know, they couldn't double up both uh, Robert and, uh, and Marquise. And uh, so uh, I, I would not worry about, uh, you know, 101 ways to throw a screen.
1: I I think USC was up 28-7 in that Oregon game, so it seemed to start off pretty good anyway, Dan.
2: <laughs> yeah, they were pretty aggressive. They were <laughs> aggressive. They were not afraid at all. I think that was the change. And uh, Just like at the Notre Dame game, uh, uh, the Oregon game and what have you, they were aggressive from the get-go, and they were making life tough on those defenses. I mean, those defenses were really overmatched and, and knew it. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, you got Robert Woods and, and Marquise Lee, and uh, the way the, the tight ends developed, uh, and, and Matt, you know, just getting this, you know, so comfortable with what he was doing. Uh, uh, it made sense. So, yes, you're right.
1: Uh, <laughs> they, okay.
2: were, they, were, they took it to Oregon pretty good. I think that shocked Oregon as much as the fact that USC was able to run with Oregon's speed on defense. Uh, but the the fact that USC just took it to them uh, offensively with the aggressiveness that they did. So uh, uh, I think that was one of the secrets uh, of the second half of the season is that USC decided we're going to be aggressive. We're going to take the game over uh, and uh, we're going to dictate how this game is played.
1: Uh, here's an interesting one, Dan. What do you think about switching Farmer, George Farmer, from receiver to corner? He's thick bodied, faster than most receivers and went healthy. He has a knack for finding the ball. He wants to be a receiver because it allows him to make plays. What could be better than taking a play away from another team and returning it for points? Plus, he can cover De'Anthony Thomas. What do you think about that? Okay. It-
2: see, I don't see George, George's skill set that way. Uh, uh, I think when you look at, at corners, you really see guys with uh, you know, extremely quick feet. And George has fast feet. He has powerful feet. He doesn't have quick feet exactly. Uh, and so you're asking a guy, you know, I think, you know, George is a, uh, you know, a power uh, sprinter and there are some you know tremendous uh, advantages to being a power sprinter, but I'm not sure playing defense is one of those things. I think, uh, George, I think it's much easier for a guy like that to be an offensive player when you know, uh, what the pattern you're you're, you're going to run, and you know where you're going, and and watching him in the spring before he uh, pulled that hamstring, there it was a lot of progress in terms of his route running and planning his feet, and uh, and doing all that. But he doesn't he doesn't have the kind of now like if you said Robert Woods could do that, I'd say absolutely. You know Robert Woods with his feet and his ability to you know. To, to change directions and stop and start on a dime and all that, I would say without a doubt. Uh, but as far as uh, George as a cornerback, I don't see that matchup at all. Uh, size-wise, you know, he's he's going to be around 210 pounds, or, or, and that's probably minimum. Uh, so uh, uh, I don't see that as a fit. Safety, uh, I think offense is where George probably should stay.
1: Makes sense. And uh, no one, let me assure everyone out there, no one watches feet that covers the USA Trojans more than Dan Weber. So he's always checking out feet, shoes. He knows what's going on when he's talking about feet.
2: Well, this this is a uh, carryover from being a high school coach. And and honest to gosh, uh, when you were looking at kids as freshmen coming in, and and all sports actually, you really got a sense of where they were going to be and how they were going to develop by watching their feet. And how do they, you know, how do they move through space? And how did, how long do their feet stay on the ground? And all of the kinds of things. And and, and there are just, you know, there's enough difference between, you know, whether you're playing offense and defense or where, or what position you're playing that that feet really matter, you know. And and I always go back to, and I, I almost apologize, I guess, for the, you know, the late great coach John Wooden. His first uh, lecture to his players every year was uh, how to put their shoes and socks on and how to tie those shoelaces. And his uh, old uh, Converse Chuck Taylor eye tops. But uh, uh, I think Coach Wooden was on to something. I think he kind of knew what he was doing. And, and and I think you can really learn a lot by watching guys feet.
1: Uh, all right, we we had a. Uh... I wanted to talk to Andrew out there. Andrew sent a question a couple weeks ago about a bunch of different USC players. Where are they now? We're still working on that. We'll try to get you the complete list of everyone you asked about. Uh, but we did, we did catch up with a couple of guys. I met with Brad Otten uh, at the Settebello, uh Pizzeria in Pasadena. He's opened three of them, one in uh, Vegas and Salt Lake City, and they're opening another one as well. And they opened the one in Pasadena fairly recently. So I was up there with Coach Harvey Hyde on Thursday. We'll have a story coming up on uscfootball.com a little later today. You can kind of see what was up to him. Some people don't remember Dan. He threw for 391 yards in that Rose Bowl uh, against Northwestern. Well, actually,
2: that was my first—the first Rose Bowl I ever covered. I was covering Northwestern. I remember, remember it vividly because we uh, was sitting in the last row of the press box, and the guy sitting on a stool directly behind me was uh, was the uh, uh, the great actor uh, and. Uh, uh, gosh, why do I forget, uh, from Northwestern, played Moses, uh, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston, yeah. And he was sitting on it, and he'd like tap you on the shoulder and ask you, what, you know, what happened and whatever. But I do remember uh, being surprised. I mean, obviously we all knew about Keyshawn. I was surprised how good Brad Otten was in, in that Rose Bowl. He was very impressive. And, uh, and they again, a game they didn't let Northwestern really uh, get in that game. But, uh, yes, I absolutely, uh, I remember.
1: Yeah, and uh, he he normally split time with Kyle Wackoltz, and uh, he started off so hot they just let him. Uh, John Robinson let him play the whole game. So we got we got a good story on him. We'll do. We'll try to get some more of these. Where are they now? Things. Jacob Rogers, the former uh, USC offensive tackle, won a national championship under Pete Carroll. Played under Paul Hackett as well. We got a story coming up with him. Uh, he owns a a a gun shop and shooting range up in Ventura. So I went up there over the weekend and, and met with him. So we'll try to get you guys some updates on uscfootball.com during the off season on some of these Trojan players and where they've gone on after football, what their lives have been. So it's pretty fun. It's fun to catch up with some of these guys.
2: Yeah, that'd be great. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's uh that's great. I loved, uh, Jacob Rogers had a lot to do with, uh, with setting the tone for where USC football was going under Pete Carroll. He was a, a big part of that, uh, those first, uh, the first really good teams. Uh, that'll be great to catch up with him.
1: All right, and then uh, one last thing before we let you go, I wanted to. we want to do a little unofficial, just kind of questionnaire for everyone that listens to the podcast. We get a lot of feedback, and I want to get some some more feedback just on what you like. If we can tweak things and make it a little better for you, so five uh, five random questionnaires I'll pick out that get emailed to me at podcast at football dot com. We'll send you a free. R seventy five are better than your eighty-five t-shirts. Just follow this format. I want you to put numbers one, two, three, and four and answer the four questions. One, length of the podcast, if you think it should be longer, shorter, whatever. Number two, what's your favorite part of the podcast? Go ahead and say Dan Weber if you want. And number three, what's your least favorite part of the podcast? You can say me, whatever you want to say. And then four, any other questions or comments you have. So just kind of label it one, two, three, four, email it to podcast at USCFootball.com. And we'll pick five at random and send you a free R75, are better than your 85 T-shirt, which are very popular and uh, people are really loving them, especially as the season comes up. We got some hats coming too, Dan. So the uh, 75 greater very. greater than 85 hats and stuff. So uh, especially as the season comes, I think people are going to really be wanting to get these things.
2: Well, I'll put in my uh, favorite part of the podcast. I think we get a heck of a lot of smart questions, and I've told people I think. Uh, uh, USC football fans are as smart a fan base as, as there is in the country, and uh, I think uh, it proves it uh, most every week with uh, with the questions we're getting on the podcast. So that's my favorite part.
1: All right, Dan. Well, thanks. And uh, my favorite part is you answering those questions. I really like <laughs> it. Great stuff. We didn't even prep them, folks. We just, just I throw questions at him the whole time, and he has stuff on the tip of his tongue, so it's uh, it's good stuff. But thanks again, Dan, for coming on the show. We appreciate it
2: enjoyed it very much ryan thanks a lot
1: all right and everyone else thank you very much for tuning into the peristyle podcast we will have a trojan blast podcast coming up uh tomorrow on tuesday so we'll have gerard martinez on there you can send in your questionnaires about the podcast one two three and four we appreciate that we appreciate you listening to the peristyle podcast thanks again and we'll talk to you all next week